you have your Bible, would you open it with me and turn to the book of Philippians? We're going to end our study in the book of Philippians this morning. And uh, we'll be moving on to different parts of Scripture. Uh, typically, I go from Genesis to Revelation. We're working and praying on that. But this morning, I want to bring you to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And um, Chris has put on the screen a text that we're going to read. We're going to read verses, um, what did I say, 14 through 20? I believe so. And so uh, what is becoming somewhat of a tradition, I'll take the even number of verses, you take the odd number of verses, and we'll read through that whole passage. And I have a special message for us this morning, but would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Again, Philippians chapter 4, we begin with verse 14, and Paul writes, and he says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Verse 15. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Indeed, I have all and abound, and am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you for this precious word that you have given us the work of your spirit among us, for the fellowship of the saints that we enjoy. We ask you to teach us today that you would allow us to know things that perhaps were new, to be reminded of things that perhaps were old, all for your glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, my intent this morning uh, was to have a nice outline for you on the screens and in your hands because of the nature of our study. Uh, my technology didn't work this last week. So what I've been able to do is print out for you my notes, which are in the foyer on the table back there. You're welcome to take a copy of them if you'd like. Uh, but the title of this morning's message is Possessing Spiritual Fruit That Abounds. I again draw your attention to verse 17, where Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Spiritual fruit that abounds. This is a, 
a topical study. It's not going to be a verse by verse this morning. I uh, bring this occasionally. And so your attention span, one of the things that could help if you take notes at all, I'll be referencing several scripture references, verses in the Bible. You could write on the back of your Bible or on a piece of paper or perhaps even on your bulletin. We uh, provide, I think, yes, an area where you could take some notes. But I'll begin this morning, again, reminding us that this is a topical study on this passage. And the subject that we deal with is the subject of tithes and offerings in the New Testament church. We rarely deal with the subject in our fellowship here, but we are committed in our verse-by-verse, book-by-book, chapter-by-chapter journey through the scriptures that we touch the subjects when they arrive to us in the passage. And they have done so this morning. I'd like to start with a question with you, and the question goes like this. What part does money play in the life of a Christian? Is it unspiritual to think often about money matters? After all, isn't eternity and eternal things of the utmost importance? Think about what Jesus said to his followers, Matthew chapter 6, you may recall. He said, what are you worrying about your life for? What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on your body, Matthew 6, 25 through 27 and verse 34. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you, speaking to the follower of Jesus Christ, are you of, not of more value than they? Which of you, which of us, can add a stature to our lives by worrying. Therefore, don't worry. Remember what Paul may have said, some of you who've been reading your Bible for a while, he said to uh, Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, for Timothy 6, 6 through 10, he said, godliness with contentment is great gain for We bring nothing into this world, and it's certain that we take nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. We're taught clearly in the scriptures, what place our concern for money and finance is supposed to have. What place is it supposed to have? It's supposed to have a back seat. And yet, finances and money are the bread and butter of living, pun intended. Gotta eat to live. 
got to work to eat, stimulus money to the side. When I go to work, I expend energy. Some of you who may not be in the working mode anymore, you know what it's like to still continue to expend energy. You get hungry, got to eat. Groceries cost money. And then there's the whole living thing. Shall I just exist out in the elements? I could go get under a bridge, put up a shanty, but then I'm more exposed to the elements and I'm more exposed and, and vulnerable to disease, flu, and inclement weather. No, it makes sense to have four walls and a roof. Makes sense to have shelter, but shelter costs money. Then there's the whole transportation thing. I mean, no longer are we dealing with donkeys and camels and horses as in the days when this text is given to us. You know, fast forward, it's cars, expensive cars. I mean, my truck out there in the parking lot costs twice what our mom's home cost back in the 60s. And yet, do you think that in 2021, the economic challenges of us mankind are a surprise to God? Bible deals with economics all the time. In fact, Jesus talked about it. Clearly, economics runs through the scriptures, but Jesus dealt with it very clearly with his followers when uh, the religious leaders were trying to trick him into dividing spiritual matters with uh, uh, the matters of living each day. And Jesus said in Mark 12, 17, he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Well, he understood taxes, government, personal budgets. He understood it all. After all, he is God, knows all things. Now, for God's people, the issues of money... Uh, budgeting, personal income, debt, and all of that. Uh, that subject arrived long ago in God's people and in their history and is embodied really in two words, the words tithes and offerings. Uh, the word tithe means tenth. Uh, in the original language. It shows up some 16 times in the New King James Version of the Bible in the Old and New Testaments. But before we go any further, there's a basic concept that's needed to be at least shared and understood, though probably many of you in this room or watching at home understand this already. But let's just revisit it for common sense. And the fact is, is this, is that God has created all things. If you are an evolutionist and you think we arrived at the place that we are at through some evolution of a million years and some pre-mortal soup came up to be an intelligent being, then you have other hurdles to jump over. If you are an atheist, 
Maybe you're watching this online and you don't really believe that there's a God. And so all you have is you. You're here, you live, you work, you die, and, and that's it. Then you have no hope. But if you are a theist, in other words, you've embraced the concept that there's a, a higher being, a God, who has uh, overseen the issues of the creation of this globe and mankind, then we can move forward with the fact that God has created all things. And as the one who has created all things, the fruit that we eat off of the tree that grows in the ground that is watered by the water was all created by God. The wood from a various kind of tree that is transformed into a log, a two by four, whatever, ends up building the walls that create our shelter. It was created by God. The steel that is ored from the ground and heated and by the mechanisms of the, the ingenuity of mankind now produce for us the planes and ships and cars that we drive in reality, they were created by God. So for God's child, it is accurate to say that everything we possess in our personal effects, our relationships, and yes, our finance, God allows us to have. Remember what Jesus said, John 3, 27, this kind of puts the period on the sentence. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. For those who may be watching or listening, he said, well, no, I worked hard for that. A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now, with that as a little bit of a background, and you can see why I wanted to do outline. I wanted you to be able to see those verses up on the screen and whatnot. So please pick up a copy of the notes that are out there. But with all of that as a little bit of a background, God began the principle of tithing, the giving of a tenth back to himself or back to a higher way back when the father of a nation that would come to be a people began. Because it would be those same people that would carry his spoken, then become written word all throughout human history. And it would be through that people to which he would bring into the world the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I speak, of course, of the Hebrew. And the Hebrews, their father, the father of the nation of Hebrew, is a man that we know to be as Abraham. And the higher, where this principle was established, was a priest by the name of Melchizedek. We'll call him Mel for short. This priest, Mel, Melchizedek shows up when Abraham was 
distressed. He had lost his brother, Lot. His brother had been captured by enemies. And so Abraham had put together a, a, a band of, of soldiers and, and had gone and gotten his brother freed from the captors. And there out in an open field over the horizon comes this man named Melchizedek. And he walks up to Abraham. Genesis 14, 18 through 20 tells us that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies, Abraham, into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. It's the first time it appears. Now, later in life, when one of Abraham's kids is in trouble. His name is Jacob. He's running from his brother Esau. And he is uh, distressed that Esau is upset and wants to do him harm. And on his run, he comes to this place called Bethel, meaning house of God. He's very tired, so he lays down. He takes a stone. He puts his head on a stone, and he falls asleep, and he has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a ladder with angels of God ascending and descending to the heavens. And we know that to be what we've called Jacob's ladder. But when Jacob wakes up, he recognizes that he has been in the presence of God, that God has been with him. And so in that dream and in that encounter, he recognizes that God has promised to uh, give him a profitable and a safe future. And what does Jacob do in return when he wakes up? Genesis 28, 20 through 22, Jacob says, if God will be with me and keep me in the way that I am to go and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you have given me, I will give you a tenth. Now, mind you, this is all happening way before God's people are established as a nation. This is happening way before God has given any laws or rules of how to live their life here on planet Earth that relate to finance. And it's before those laws have been formally written down. If you grew up in my generation, you know what a cassette player is. Do you know that there are some young people that don't know what a telephone is? Anyway, sorry, side note. Fast forward the cassette button. And you go 430 years, and now this nation has been formed. They're under bondage in the land of Egypt, and God chooses to deliver them. He sends Moses. Many of you know the story. And God delivers this nation of people, 
and brings them to the base of a mountain so that he can give them the instructions of what they are to do throughout their life here. That they're not to get distracted by the nations around them. They're not to be uh, sidetracked by the religious practices of the nations around them. They are to worship and serve this one true God alone who delivered them. And as an act of worship, they had many things to do, one of which was to bring a sacrifice that would mean the shedding of blood, which it was the shedding of blood that atoned for their sin and would bring them into right relationship with God. But along with those varied practices was included the act of bringing a tenth of all that they had, all that an individual, a household, a family had acquired over the course of a year, over the course of months, from feast to feast, from celebration to celebration. They were to bring a tithe, Leviticus 27.30, and all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now that scripture I wish I had up there because I want to repeat it. It says, the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And if you hear anything in that, hear that in that giving of the law to God's people, what he was saying, what God was saying in that law, is that the tithe is not yours. It's mine, God is saying. It's not even you as a worshiper. It's not yours to deal with. It's mine. They could also come voluntarily to bring what was called offerings, Leviticus 7.16, bring the sacrifice of his offering. If the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, then they're to bring it. So we see, or we hear anyway, I don't have many scriptures in front of you, we, we can hear that tithes and offerings rump, run rampant through that establishing of God's people as a nation. And the bringing of tithes and offerings was to be an act of worship. It was to be a part of the way that they worshiped God. One was commanded and obligatory. The other was invitational and voluntary. The tithe and the offering. Now, during what we know to be historically as the tabernacle years, the bringing of tithes and offerings still continued to take place because there was always a promise that one day God's people would have a central place of worship. Deuteronomy 12, 11 says, Then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heath offerings of the land, and all of your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. Deuteronomy 12, 11. And God kept that promise, as we'll see in just a moment, but let's also remember that at the time that this was given, currency wasn't even an issue. I mean, the tenth of what someone had gained or 
uh, incurred or earned over the course of a year or from feast to feast or month to month, whatever. That was all harvest. It was grains. It was part of the harvest of their crops. It was livestock. It, currency wasn't even yet in the picture until you start moving fast forward again, hit that fast forward button on the cassette, and you come to, of course, Solomon building the first temple in Jerusalem, that place where God had promised that his name would be and his name would abide. And although the faithfulness of the Jewish nation is the faithfulness of the Jew to God is a roller coaster ride. If you've walked through any of the Old Testament and the New, you've seen that their faithfulness is a roller coaster ride. But during the first temple years, as an act of worship, the bringing of something to sacrifice for the shedding of blood, for the atoning of sin, to put the worshiper in the right standing with God also included the bringing of tithes and offerings. Second Chronicles 31.12, then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things, and the Levites had charge of them. Fast forward the button again. We come to that historical period where Israel is taken captive. I know it's somewhat of a history lesson. I'm sorry for that part if that's not interesting. I love it. But um, they're taken captive. 70 years, the Babylonian kingdom comes in, takes the, the nation of Israel captive for their unfaithfulness to specific laws. And for 70 years, they're captive. But then the uh, Medo-Persians come in and conquer the Babylonians. Artaxerxes writes this letter. Ezra and Nehemiah get permission to go back and start to rebuild the temple that was destroyed, the walls that were destroyed. And when Nehemiah shows up on the scene to stir the people of God and to say to them 14 years after Ezra had been there to rebuild the temple and he walks around at night to get to lay, you know, get a lay of the land. He sees the walls are all crumbled down. He says, why are we living like this? And he begins to encourage each and every household to start to build the wall right next to where they live. And as that wall begins to rebuild, their, their routine of acts of worship begin to reignite. Nehemiah 10.37 tells us that they bring the first fruits of our dough our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priest, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land. And so you had Solomon's, you had the tabernacle, you had Solomon's temple, you had Zerubbabel's temple. By the time we get to Jesus' day, aren't you glad we're there now? By the time we get to Jesus' time in which we're, given a record of the things that took place during that time in the Gospels, the practice of tithing and offering was still clearly established. The worshiper was still bringing a tenth and at times an offering over and above. 
There was one problem, though. There were a few, but one problem that is noted in the Gospels is that the religious leaders who were supposed to be reflecting a compassionate heart of God were very good at tithing. They were good at giving a tenth, but they were not good at giving the worshiper the reflection of the love of God. And Jesus called them out on it. You may recall that. I'm sure you've read it somewhere. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. In other words, what Jesus was saying to them the Spirit of God was, would say to every believer and follower of Christ that would come after is that God could care less. He cares not at all, rather, about some follower of himself that might be accurate in tithes or offerings, but their heart is not right. Which brings us to the New Testament age. So the question, that was an introduction. The question, the question goes like this. Question, you can call it an argument, you can call it a discussion, you can call it a debate. It goes like this. Is tithing something that the Christian in the New Testament church is required to do? Hold on to your hat. As an aside, pin that thought, okay? As an aside, there's only two places in all of the New Testament where we find the word required. It's like, required? What am I required? We, most of us operate best under pressure, right? What am I required to do? Well, one of them has to do with when Jesus was talking about his second coming. And he was telling his followers of the signs that will come when he comes a second time. And he was using parables, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak or teach in these parables to everyone or to us only? His answer in Luke 12, 48 was, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. In other words, if you've been given this glorious gospel message, and it abides and lives in you, then yes, you have the, the word of God that requires you to be willing to share it. Go out into all the nations and make disciples of all men. The second place, the Apostle Paul talks about requirement uh, to stewards or those who manage the things that God gives them. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, he said, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. What we do with the gospel, we are required to do. What we do with what God gives us and how we manage it, it is required that we be found faithful. But the question remains, as it relates to tithing and offerings, 
Is it required of a Christian? Aren't you enjoying this message this morning? It's so fun. Okay. When it comes to salvation, absolutely not. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. No one earns favor of God, salvation of God, by the giving or doing of anything. Those Christians that oppose the idea of tithes and offerings being something that applies in the New Testament church will often say something like this. It's not verbatim, but it's, it's, it's a th- paraphrase. That's the Old Testament. That's the law. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. To which we would all say, Amen. The Christian who agrees with the principle of tithing and offerings being applicable to the life of the Christian in the New Testament church will often cite verses that support that position. What I want to do in the time remaining this morning is let the Bible answer those questions and you make your decision. And I'll begin with something that Jesus said. Matthew 5.17 is a paramountly important verse as it relates to this subject. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Matthew 5.17 In other words, what Jesus is saying is that everything that's back there in the Old Testament under the law remains in place at my coming. I come just to fulfill it, not to say, okay, take that away, it no longer applies. In fact, Paul wrote about this to the Romans. He said in Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish it. And my point is simply this is that when it comes to the issue of salvation, tithes and offerings has no place. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a work of the grace of God. But when it comes to the truths of the principles that are given to us in the Old Testament, of which 283 direct quotes in the New Testament of Old Testament truths, then we would be uh, remiss to place all those things to the back and not pay attention to them. In other words, let me put it this way. To the person who would say, well, no, that's, that's the Old Testament, that's law, and that doesn't apply, then are you willing to then therefore take other promises or other principles or other instruction in the Old Testament and set that to the back and not have it apply? 
Like, would you want to take Isaiah 26.3 and say, no, this doesn't apply. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I hear it. Okay. Thank you. Um, would you want to set Psalm 37.4 out of the picture? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give unto you the desires of your heart. Oh, no, that one doesn't. What about Psalm 91.15, one of my favorites? God is speaking, and he says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him. The list, we could stay here a long time for the things that God has spoken in the Old Testament that apply to the Christian today in the New Testament church. In fact, there's a very unique promise that God speaks through one of his prophets in the Old Testament that deals specifically with the subject of tithes and offerings and I want to ask you to turn in your Bible there. Hold your place in Philippians. Turn backwards to the uh, book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Important that we see this one. And uh, Malachi chapter 3. I'll bring you to verse 8 and verse 10. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 8 and verse 10, use your uh, content if you need to find out the page number. Are we all there? All right. Some of us are familiar with this one. Others it might be new. Watch what it says. Malachi, God is speaking. And he says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Question mark. Yet you have robbed me, God says. But humanity, or the God-seeker, God-follower, responds and says, But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and in offerings. Verse 10, notice. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Do you see it? Remember what we read in Leviticus 27.30? The tithe is the Lord's. It belongs to him. It's not even the worshipers to do with what he wants or she wants to. And here is the only place in Scripture, mind, mind you, the only place in Scripture where God says, I invite you to prove me. I invite you to try me. I invite you to, we'll use the word test, but the Lord doesn't test, tempt anyone, neither will he be tempted. Prove me on this. Bring it all to my storehouse 
and watch and see if I don't open up for you the windows of heaven to pour out so much of a blessing into your life, you won't even be able to keep it, contain it, just in yourself. Now, what would be wise to do is next week do a study on what blessings are. I won't be here. We won't do that. We could do that in the following week or so. Because before you, before you if you, in your mind, go, oh, okay, if, I'm, if I do this with tithes and offerings, then I'm going to get money. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is blessing. And blessings from God is a wide horizon that include things like hardship and suffering and pain. So he, he God leaves it in the heart of the worshiper, this choice. You, you can obey me in this, or not obey me. If you choose not to obey me, then you're actually robbing from me. If you choose to obey me in this, then your, your obedience brings blessing. We do know there's a difference between the tithe, the tenth, and the offering, the voluntary giving of something over and above the tithe. Tithe in Nehemiah's day, as we spoke about in the rebuilding of the wall, uh, Nehemiah 10, 37, they brought the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit of all kinds of trees, the new wine, the oil. We brought them to the storerooms of the house of our God, and we brought the tithes. So there's a distinction. And we're encouraged in many places, the, the God seeker, rather, is encouraged in many places to uh, be generous in their offerings, Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8 says that if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open wide to him and willingly lend to him sufficient for his need. Generosity has to do with our, a person's offerings something that is theirs to choose to give, or uh, rather, it's not to tithe. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Isaiah 32, 5 and 8, the foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful, but a generous man devises generous things and by his generosity shall stand. In the New Testament, we're encouraged to be uh, generous in our offerings. Remember the, the widow's might. When Jesus was there in Luke's gospel, chapter 21, and he saw the rich bringing their gifts to the treasury. It was different than their tithes. They were bringing their gifts to the treasury, and he saw this widow come, and she put into the treasury two mites, and he said, Truly I say unto you that this poor widow has put more in than all, because she gave out of her poverty and her livelihood and all that she had.
If you're curious about what it is that, that God uses as a standard for what you're to give or I'm to give, it's clarified for us in 2 Corinthians 8.12. Paul writing, he says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. God bases our faithfulness in our giving on, on the basis of what we have. He doesn't use somebody else's standard for you or somebody else's or your standard for me. There are, is such a thing as a spiritual gift of giving. It's in the list of spiritual gifts in Romans 12. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If we have the gift of prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If we have the gift of ministry or serving, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. There is a gift of giving. I know Christians at times, I've been in ministry here now like 30 plus years, who, who at times start out kind of, okay, they, they want to embrace this concept, this principle, concept's a horrible word, this principle of tithing and giving offerings, and they start out okay, and then something gets in the way. Bills, expenses, life, and the Lord understands that. Paul even wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, and this I give as advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, speaking to those in Corinth, but now you must also complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also must be a completion of what you have. If this morning this is a subject that's like, oh gosh, I, I'm starting to hear this again. The Lord is just saying, come back. Now, let me summarize because I am running out of time and I have a bit more that I'd like to share. Um, the Bible clearly teaches that tithes and offerings apply in the life of the New Testament believer, that they are distinctly different. A tithe is a tenth of one's income, one's earnings over the course of a year, over the course of a month, or over the course of a season. The offering is something just voluntarily over and above the tithe. The offering might be some evangelists come through and the basket is passed and you put five bucks in or uh, a band comes and you want to bless the band or, or there's a facility in town, a, a pregnancy center that needs help or a rehab center or something. And so you offer to assist financially in that way, but it is not your tithe. And two subjects that need to be touched on before we close. Some of you hearing these truths today might say, well, Pastor, if, if I take what I'm hearing and then you can take those notes home and read those notes and what I'm reading and, and I start to do this, but I, I, I might not be able to 
pay my bills or, or, or pay this bill or, or be able to take care of that responsibility or this responsibility. Now, you're in Malachi still, right? Let's go back to Philippians 4. Back to Philippians 4 because it was there in verse 19. Going to read it. Got to see it. Got to believe it. He says in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. If the individual says, well, but I don't know if I would be able to, you know, continue. Maybe this is about a reassessment of what needs you have and what you determine has been a need. God promises he will meet your needs. God promises faithfulness in this area will open up the windows of heaven. So lastly, we close with this. The tithe and the offering. If I'm going to walk in this principle within the law, the law is the law, but there's this principle within the law that applies to you and I as New Testament Christians, if I'm going to walk within this law, all right, Pastor, then, then where does my tithe go? Where does my offering go? Answer, Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So your tithe, and you who are watching at home, you who may view this message later online, your tithe belongs in that place that you call home your local fellowship. That's where your tithe belongs. The tenth of your income, we don't have to get into, you know, before taxes or after taxes, that's a whole different thing. The tenth of your income, whether it's annually, yearly, weekly, monthly, belongs in the local fellowship that you call home. If this is your home, it belongs here. If you have another church that you go to, it belongs there. Because God has appointed... Uh, Overseeing men that are supposed that are responsible for the direction of those finances, and this fellowship over the 25 plus years, so faithful. You know what's exciting to be able to come to this message today? I know where we we're going to be here. Okay, we're here. I, I want to make this definitive so that you could come back to this again. It's not just this one-time thing. There's the notes. There's the online. You, well, I didn't catch this one part. I wanted it definitive because, listen, this church is not in trouble. This church's budget is like right on. There's no problem, no hardship. I mean, we're just like moving. Even after a year of COVID, a little bit of attendance down, budget stays solid. I mean, we're, we're just like blessed. A lot of that's due to your faithfulness and understanding of these things already. But in case any of this information is somewhat, you know, uh, rem reminding you or revisiting or new, your tithe belongs in the local fellowship, your offering wherever you choose to give it. A ministry that, that is a missionary, a uh, uh, like I said, a pregnancy center that, that needs a new uh, machine. The rehab center that takes care of those homeless and addicts. Wherever you choose, 
We'll close with one verse. Turn backwards in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Because this verse is the meat and potato of all that has been shared. 2 Corinthians 9. Draw your attention to verse 6 and verse 7. Want to read it out loud with me? Let's read it out loud from your Bible. It reads, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The takeaway this morning is that the tithe still applies. The offering is still an invite. But in whatever way you choose to give, you are to purpose in your heart, first of all, to do so. It is not a rule. It is not a, a, a law. It's not something that this fellowship imposes upon anybody. And for years, we didn't even take a formal offering. That box in the back is all we did. Hey, if you want to put something in the box, put it in the box. Years ago, someone said, you know, it's an act of worship to give. Can we have ushers that take a formal offering? So I said, okay, so we do that. But for years, we did not. We didn't even take an offering. We just let people put whatever they want in the box in the back. You have to purpose in your heart. And it has to be not begrudgingly. If anywhere in your heart of hearts is going to be, oh, I wish I didn't have to give this this time. You're better off to not give. But if in your heart you see the truths that we've talked about this morning then, what happens is God loves a cheerful giver. That word translated in the original is hilarious. This is not original. When I first stumbled upon that word and someone was showing it to me, it's like, when was the last time you laughed almost uncontrollably? Think about it for a minute. Adam and I have a special memory. One year, we couldn't stop ourselves. We were across the table from one When was the, That's not the last time I laughed, but when was the last time you laughed almost uncontrollably? That's how God wants you to give. Like, here. He wants it to be that joyful, that pleasant. So, it's not that I seek the gift, because I don't. But I do seek the fruit, the spiritual fruit that would abound in your life when you walk in obedience in this area as well. You make the choice.
You think on these things. What did Paul say? A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. That's what he wants our lives to be. This is just one area, but a very important one. Will you close with me as we pray? Team? As the team comes, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. For the fact that you desire our lives be a sweet-smelling aroma. An acceptable sacrifice. Well-pleasing. Lord, to all of us here this morning, we know that you see, you know our condition, you know our fears, you know what stops us from walking in obedience, and you know the joy when we surrender. Jesus' name.